This podcast was recorded on April 29th, 2021. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and people outside the binary. Broken Class is now in session. I'm your discussion leader, Thomas Huda. What an exciting day it is for me to be here with Laurel O'Rourke, um, the third person I'm interviewing who is vying to be a part of the 4J school board, the board of directors for the Eugene School District 4J. Laurel, how are you feeling today? I would say I'm exhausted, but happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Right on. Hey, um, being a tireless public servant like yourself, I can totally understand. I hope they're paying you well enough at the county. Um, oh, big money. The... <laughs> right on. Um, and so just the, the little bit of intro that I can give from what I know of you is that you are running for position two on the board. Um, you are currently working in terms of with the Lane County in terms of helping people who were displaced by the fires that happened. Um, and I you know today you were out maybe in Blue River and you seem like you're going out and, and helping families all over. What is it that you're doing? The work that I do is um, because it's part of a disaster, it's kind of some, what happens is it evolves as we go along. Um, I've been attached to the recovery. Well, it was emergency operations for um, the holiday farm wildfire. And now I'm part of recovery operations. There's a a huge team of amazing people. And I don't say that just because I should, because I work with them. But um, (laughs) I'm really impressed with the people in Lane County and then our local um, community organizations that step up and do this work. So by no means is it me by myself. I work mostly mm-hmm. with the state and um, some great individuals there. Shout out to Tara Ralph. She'll, she probably will not appreciate me for doing that, <laughs> but she's <laughs> right amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So I, what I do is I'm the lead for Lane County to set up disaster case um, management program. Um, there are people doing this work at the state level and I am really, my job is to make sure it's, our county and our residents and our needs are are part of that framework. Like they're aware at state level. So I work hand in hand with people with, at the state level are doing this work at um, mm-hmm. ODHS. So mm-hmm. what's gratifying about the work is I get to work with a lot of amazing individuals who've been through a lot, which sounds like, wow, what a drain, but really, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to amazing people almost every day that who have had had taken that sucker punch, which is a disaster, you know, and it's hard to plan for that and, and helping people get connected and figure it out. And so while we don't have disaster case managers on the ground yet, yes, I'm doing a lot of that casework and social work with Mm -hmm. them. Um, when we get our own disaster case managers in Lane County, I'll be able to pull back more and do more of the policy and help with housing and um, with our team with recovery operations. Um, my official title is I'm a, a management analyst with community and economic development. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I am glad to learn more about that, about your role within that really important delivery of public services for people who have experienced um, one of like four totally game changing like crises that happened around that time of those fires last year. Um, and uh, this is your first time running for public office. Is that correct? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, um, it, it, sort of helps explain that, um, you know, a number of high profile and just very committed people in the local world of public service, um, such as Kitty Piercy, the two term former Eugene mayor, three term former Eugene mayor, I think, um, uh, is your campaign chairperson. I was scrolling through Facebook. I saw Lisa Fragola from the LCC board at a video of giving you glowing praise for your candidacy. And so I'm excited to know that you, you know, are well prepared. You've been working within the context of delivery of services to, you know, um, community members. Um, but this is, you know, a show where I talk to musicians. I talk to people running for office. I've talked to people holding office. I talk to artists and I want to get to know you as just a person, a human being. And I want people to have the chance to know you in that way. And I always like to ask at the beginning of the show, what is a controversial opinion that you have about anything? Um, I would say, and my most, I feel it's controversial because it always excites, it makes people a bit excited is mm -hmm. that change can happen even when everyone says it's impossible. So nice. I like to think outside the box. I, I think I'm forced to think outside the box because when the box is really narrow and there's no options, uh, you got to go outside. You got to figure other things out. Um, I think it's controversial because it makes people uncomfortable, especially in government work. <laughs> and mm. Some people get excited, but most people are, we've been taught pretty well is like, let's just keep things on an even keel and not up or down. And I think, um, I think it's one of the gifts of being a Brown person that was raised in this, this city, mm -hmm. you know? So being a black woman, realizing I'm not going to stay inside the box that you've decided to make for me in life. Um, nice try. <laughs> so I think it's one of the, I take it as a gift and I, I move around and I'm like, but what about this? Like, well, what do you mean? No, if it's not working, what that means it's not working. So we need to figure out something else. And so it does make people uncomfortable, but we get to solutions and I work with other people, enough other people who appreciate and want that kind of energy um, that it's appreciated. Awesome. Um, I did hear uh, in some of the research I did about you, you know, you were in a race. Um, it's still a contested race. I think you have a great chance of winning. I think your campaign is really strong and reflects that you are a strong candidate. But um, it would have been a really diff especially difficult race had um, Anne-Marie Levis, the incumbent position two board member, stayed in the race. Um, and I know that you really earned so much of um, her respect that she had um, chosen to withdraw and said basically like, you know, she was quoted as saying, I think my time has passed. Um, and that she's like ready to see you come into the race. I also think that she mentioned that she kind of identifies herself as like a straight talker and you are kind of a straight talker as well. And I think that that's um, exciting because there has been, and this is a little bit bouncing off of what you were talking about um, with your approach uh, to change is um, I've experienced with the school board, you know, I'm a 4J grad. So I was going to school board meetings when I was in high school and afterwards and awesome. after I got my bachelor's and, and um, there, it seems that there can be, whether it's enforced by any individual person or not, a sense that, hey, 
Your tone needs to be in a specific way. If you're going to come bring your thoughts to the board, you don't want to yell and scream. You have to, you have to really um, deliver this in a way that's polite and diplomatic. Um, and, you know, I think that that does have a marginalizing f- impact on some people of color, some BIPOC people or people who just um, are not able to or choose not to express themselves in the most palatable way because sometimes they think there's an urgency around being heard on certain issues. Um, so how do you think that's going to play out um, when you're on the board? Well, I mean, there's a word for that. That's called policing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're telling somebody how they have to say something to you, by just creating that energy between two people, you're saying, I am here, you're here, you need to behave. And that changes much more than just how what that person is trying to tell you. So uh, a lot of the social work I've done in the past is de-escalation and things like that. So one of the best ways to help somebody de-escalate, you know, besides, you know, having boundaries, yeah, there are rules that need to be followed. Um, mm-hmm. But is to be like, I hear you, you're upset. And I hear why you're upset. And I want to know more. And I, I mean, you're giving me a kind of a great segue into one of my, <laughs> one of my platforms, which is communication. Mm. And we do not have good communication. And it is one of the most simple effective tools out there allowing teachers students all all educators all staff members to have a way to have a voice and feel like they're heard um no you can't make everyone happy that's not how the world works ever of course you know but you can definitely by hearing and understanding get to a point where you understand why we're losing effective staff you know, and we are Mm. Mm. why we have so many kids that um, just drop out instead of continue, you know, it's, it's, it's some, some of them don't feel like they're seen. I've been told that I've talked to, um, I was a graduate of 4J too. Look at us. Um, I think we're rare. We're like unicorns. (laughs) In the the sense there's not, there's so many people from other places than Eugene. Um, Staying in Eugene. Right. Exactly. But I think it's really, um, there were great things I got from my 4J education. And there were things that I hope I can help be a voice to change. And I think I went to school here when teachers had a lot more voice. And right. I've heard about that in the past. And I've heard that from the um, other people that are running, Maya and um, Tom DiLiberto, that have both expressed that things have changed a lot. Um, right. And I definitely, I, you know, I love this town, which... Um, I've, I've been here a long time. I left for a long time too. I was, I left a little bit too. (laughs) Yeah. Every, we all leave. We all, (laughs) (laughs) but then it's like, man, nothing is like Eugene, you know, for some of its flaws, but also for all of its beauty. So you went to the military. Yeah. I went, I went to the military and I, I, well, first with you, when we leave here, we go to Portland because 
hello, that's where everything was. And, um, and then I went into the military and I came back to um, raise my kids. Sorry, that was one of them just now. Um, that's okay. I'm in a meeting. I love them. Um, I, I, my ex-husband, now ex-husband, and I came back here to raise our kids. We have, I have five kids. Um, three of them have learning disabilities. They have IEPs and struggle you know, to their education is hard. What, when I, I, I look at it in a way when I go to write something down, I get to think about what I'm going to write, but none of the other stuff is hard for me. Right. None of it. Mm -hmm. All of it is hard for them. Every single Mm -hmm. bit of it is torture. (laughs) And, um, and that's how I kind of come to the understanding of maybe how it is for them. Cause I can't be in their shoes, but I want to understand, um, exa- you know, how I can help them. I can't say that has always happened at the school district here. And I've had to fight <laughs> hard to, yeah. to make yeah. them relevant seen. And I mean, the school district was talking when they were in grade school about modified diplomas and the boy that he's a senior. Now they were talking about, would absolutely have to have a modified diploma um, is graduating and taking calculus right now. So that yeah. wouldn't have happened right. if it didn't have this pushy mama. Right. And I, I want to be there for other parents who are, right. are so frustrated that, I mean, it's terrifying. It is actual tear because you know, this is, they have dreams and hopes and you want them to have it. And this is school district is part of that. And if our job, if we're not succeeding, we're failing. And if we're not trying to succeed with every kid, we're failing. And we're not right now. Right. Well, it's a mark of your tenacity that you have advocated in that way. But I think we would agree that you shouldn't have to. You know, here's an example. So when I left uh, Eugene for a while, I went to Minnesota for undergrad um, at a small school there. And then I went to a a year long master's program in New York City. And, um, you know, I took this disability and education class that was the best class that I had that I took there. I loved that course. And, you know, it just um, one of the examples was on the subway in New York. Like, okay, how many actual subway stops are ADA accessible are accessible for people who use a wheelchair, like one in 11 or something. So are you going to tell me that mobility is actually practical in, in in the subway already has its challenges, you know? And so, um, you know, disability is one of those, um, marginalized groups in society where for the, for one thing, it's such a vast experience. Every marginalized group has, none of them are monolithic, but there is an extremely vast experience of of what that means and what those experiences are um but also i think in that way it's one of the ones where it's most objectively clear that like i don't know if like second class citizen is too like strong of a term but like the way that they that people with that identity experience the world is so clearly not um accommodated it's so clearly because people can pretend like, oh, you know, people of all races, we don't have any discrimination in our laws. And it's like, well, there's not a lot of truth to that either. But no. it's so it's so obvious. Um, yeah, I don't know why I'm making that comparison, but it's it's just that 
it's it's a, it's been able to there's a there's an idea that like oh we're in 2021 the passage of time since you know this insert period of time when people were really oppressed here has passed like you know the passage of time doesn't automatically alleviate or <laughs> like make make reparation for the fact that a modern day oppression exists right so well, yeah i i think we're in another civil rights movement right now I think mm -hmm. we're standing in history right now. And that is one of the reasons I, <laughs> I mean, when I was, um, Kitty was the one who kind of broached the subject with me about um, how I thought about the school board. <laughs> I was like <laughs> working about 80 hours a week at that point. I was Goodness. just, just so working, just working on a housing thing with Homes for Good and trying to get our people in shelter access to that and all these things and I was like well that's crazy um and then I kind of stopped and I'm like kind of pausing a bit I'm like is, is there any other black people who could do this because <laughs> right. we have some amazing black people in town and I we really sure appreciate do. their work and uh and they're like no it's you know it's it's not you and then you may not win because you know at that time it was Anne Marie was still running and um I was I felt like this primal I'm not a metaphysical person I'm a very I love logic <laughs> I'm a, cool I'm a, I I'm whimsical but I love logic mm, logic because right. it, it yeah. takes you so much further than just you know woo woo and I also I was raised how dare you town, say that in so. Eugene I know. I was raising this down. Please still vote for me. <laughs> but I, I still can't stand the smell of patchouli because um, being a kid in the 70s, <laughs> it's just yeah. it was too much. And I felt compelled and I felt it really as if my ancestors were saying, if not now, when? Like, if this is a chance, maybe it's just right now. And if you don't, you know, take this chance and fight for our kids and do this stuff, then maybe there won't be a chance in a few years for you to do this. Maybe this is it right now. And if you're going to have to be brave, you know, what they say brave is, is being scared and doing it anyway. And I, oh, yeah. It's terrifying to put yourself out there. I'm in the paper today. I told my son, he's like, all right. <laughs> he's getting used, more used to it than I am. <laughs> nice. And I'm, I'm very much about, I do not want George Floyd to have died in vain. You know, yeah. all that stuff that happened after was for a very real reason. And I want to the needle's moving, and if I can help it move more, I should do it. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of like, uh. <laughs> and I well, and I didn't. I would. I just. I do want to give kind of a shout out to Anne Marie because she was very much. We had a wonderful discussion, and she was so. Um, I had no idea what to think of her. I didn't know anything about her because it had nothing to do with being against her, and it had more to do with. There's nobody that looks like me. Nobody has my lived experience making choices for this school district. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a problem because I was mm -hmm. in this school district. I was policed. 
I was watched. Mm -hmm. I thought I was an idiot until I went to college and I finished in my forties and I was like, I'm kind of (laughs) smart. Wow. You know, know, but that is what happens. Right. And um, it is just like, it's an honorable thing to hear you say that. And I think that's wonderful. I also am just like, there can be room to be kind of pissed about the fact that like, it's not as though black activists and allied activists haven't been speaking about these issues since long before George Floyd was so um, obviously murdered and obviously brutally murdered, you know? Um, And it's, and it's one of those situations where I'm glad we can hopefully build on the momentum that we've, that we've built around these issues but, you know, it took Brianna Taylor and that incident and then not a lot was p- attention was paid to that. And then Ahmaud Arbery running uh, in, I believe, Georgia and being killed by those two awful, awful um, predators. And then George Floyd for it to finally and the pandemic for it to finally, you know, right. be it. something where it's like, oh, OK, you guys want to listen to us now or you want to listen to the people who, are, who have been saying this now. And, and I wish... Because because activists like to be proactive. They don't want to be reactive and 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 they don't want it to just be because this trauma has taken place now that you're finally going to listen. Like equity is something that should be at the forefront, not 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 on the trailing end. I I think it's so ingrained in our system. It's so part of our system. I see it at work in our structures that are put together, our land use laws, our planning, because uh, I'm, you know, helping with, you know, rebuilding and all the, and what that entails and looking at it and seeing, oh, it's this, they're only talking about property owners, but we had a lot of renters. We had a lot of non-traditional homeowners up. And so I want to make a point to say what the, the superpower of being black in this town gives me, and I like to call mm. it a superpower, is cool. that I take those microaggressions and I make them my strength. So I can ferret out marginalization in a nanosecond while you're thinking it. <laughs> I already know because I deal with it every day, every day. And all the people who ever said, are you sure? And all the gaslighting and all the stuff that ever happened. I wasn't sure for most of my life. I just thought I was kind of a piece of crap. And I can tell you at 52 years old, it wasn't my generation of black voices, though there's some amazing ones Mm. that taught me that my black life matters. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was a whole younger generation who stood up and said, no, not anymore. So I'm always okay, partly because I have five amazing kids, but partly because our younger generation, when everybody's like, they're lazy, they don't do it. I'm like, no, nope, you don't get to just marginalize, them, put them in a corner. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. And I, mm-hmm. so I want to make sure people understand I'm not just a voice for people that look like me, you know, or, right. or darker, because it, that happens. People are like, you're going to be the voice for black people. I'm like, yes, but I am also the voice for generational poverty. I am Mm. the voice for our disabled kids. I'm the voice for, you know, all any marginalization that happens. I'm so acutely aware of it. And it's so, so distasteful and wrong. I'm going to say something. 
I'm going to yeah. be that thorn in the side. Yeah. And I, and I will be hopefully a thorn saying this is wrong and this is why, but it's saying it in such a way. Cause you, you got to make it, you know, mm-hmm. taste good a little bit. <laughs> you spoon full of sugar. Um, right. <laughs> um, that I'll bring people with me. They will understand. Yes. So I know I'm not the only person on the board. I'm going to be, no, it's more like, yeah. no. And here's why. And here's what, maybe this is a direction we can go in. What do you think? And I right. really, that does work a lot for me in my work life. I do it. I'm a mom, of five teenagers and four of them are boys. Somebody has a sense of humor because that I'm an only child. <laughs> Oh. I have a wild, loud life. <laughs> yeah, what a different upbringing the household-wise that they're having compared yeah. to what you had. Do yeah. you know Jennifer Skurlock at all? I know that name. I make yeah, it could she... be just tired. Sorry if I'm forgetting. No, no, else. she's taught. Uh, she's taught for a long time at North Eugene when I was there. She was my high school literature teacher, and then she went on to uh, teach, I believe, at Sheldon. And she uh, has been honored by the state of Oregon and for her work. She's a a, a black woman, and she um sh- shared this thing on Facebook today that um I thought was so powerful, and it was said. In order to empathize with someone's experience, you must be willing to believe them as they see it and not how you imagine their experience to be. A quote by Brene Brown. And that to me, it seems like, you know, I think that I, I experienced some relative privilege in that um, I'm, you know, often white passing as a, as a half Japanese person. Um, but, you know, microaggressions are so clearly some of those things where it's like, Okay, if you're if you're telling me that you care about what I'm saying, but I know I don't really it doesn't really feel like you care, you're probably just thinking, Well, Thomas is being a little sensitive today, but you know, oh, that's man. real. So, you know. <laughs> um, and that's something that 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 I thought of when you said what you said about that. I also think, you know, um, as someone who went to a private college, um, and you went to Evergreen State, um, which is also really interesting and cool, quirky. Um, yeah. small community. I went to a small school called Carleton College. Boy, the the BIPOC students on campus all had this experience of being on the front of every admissions flyer. Oh, we do you that know? at UVO too, right? Absolutely, <laughs> right? And it's and it's like cool. You really you really like saw some funny TikToks about it, like the the campus photographer on the hunt for like the one yeah. like black student they could find. It's yeah, it's one of those things. Um, I want to ask you about how it feels to be running as a candidate for public office, um, because people people are going to want to know why you're running. And I think we've touched on some of that, and it, it'll be evident in the way that you conduct your leadership. But how does it feel like um, the process of putting yourself out there, knowing they have to raise money, producing all this literature and these signs and and putting, making it so that your name, because I don't think you're doing it because you want your name to be like one of the big names in Eugene. I think you're doing it because you have to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing, I think you're doing it because that's the process. Right? You have to. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I got it right most of the time. Oh, it's it's L A U R A L. Look at you, Thomas. Put some respect on it. Wow. I love it. <laughs> it's rare and beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it feels, uh, yeah, it's new. I would say, I would 
say some of my government work has prepared me for it in the sense that, you know, you don't, you can't get, you can't show all, all your feelings and all that stuff. And it's not appropriate. You know, you got to be able to, um, choose your battles per se. And I guess that's not too much in play right now at all. But for me, it is in the sense that I have to, I have two kids at school that are struggling and right here. And I didn't let them go back to school because, um, for some reason, you know, when you associate immunizations in school, you're like mandatory in your head. And when I found out actually, and it makes sense that immunizations aren't mandatory for the teachers. And then there was COVID at one of our schools. I was like, oh, well, I'm, it, I'm an idiot. No, my kids can't go back to school. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so they will be getting their second shot on um, this Sunday, which I'm excited about. I've been immunized because I work with people. You talked uh, about communication. There it is. You having to plug in the disconnect between the information that you didn't have about whether or not that would be in place. Right. Yeah. No, I was, it is, it feels kind of silly. Like I should have put that together because I'm smart. Like I said, sometimes, (laughs) um, but going back to your question, it feels, it's weird having your name on stuff out in people's yards. I think I feel kind of disconnected from that in the sense that that's a thing, a tool that I have to use and that's out there. And so I don't dwell too much on it. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a means to the, to an end in a certain sense. And I don't want that to be taken wrong. I'm, I am doing this work because I have ability to speak up and I have ideas of how we can do it better. And I'm going to put it out there And I don't know how long I would last on the school board per se, you know, that's why we have a democracy um, mostly. And um, so I'm really excited to put myself out there and to share those views and if they're liked or not and see how that works. I know there will be people trying to put me in my place. And so there's going to be some ruffled feathers. (laughs) There'll be, because nobody's going to, be allowed to do that anymore. Mm. I, uh, this black woman doesn't allow that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, and I don't allow them to do it to other people, you know? Right. Um, right. I, and so it feels strange, but it also is just kind of like a means to an end. We got to, it's a lot of work though. I, yeah. Somebody had told me about the endorsement part. I probably would have been like, thank you. Uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) not that I didn't enjoy talking to everybody, but talking to everybody one day after another, after another. And now they're having like these town halls and type things one after another, after another, after this, I have to say, this is one of the most enjoyable things I've done because it's, it's not that feeling of, oh, I better remember everything I need to say. And I better not mess it up. And I better not be so tired that I can't articulate <laughs> right yeah um, I, you you make this very comfortable so i appreciate that thank you thomas i'm glad I'm, I'm flattered because we didn't know each other before this but um i do have a some sense of the really procedural and like evaluative feeling of those endorsement interviews 
Um, just so you know, in your race, I already endorse you. You already earned it. <laughs> I don't know how much weight that has, but I think um, it's part of the the community centered, um, you know, movement that is behind you that, you know, I'm not unimportant. I'm, I'm not more important, but, you know, everybody has that that sense of importance. I do think, too, when you're going to be on the board. Um, you're going to be sitting on that dais and you're going to have that little placard and you're going to be there. And um, I hope that you remember what it was like and often how intimidating it was to approach that board. I went and when I spoke, you know, they don't let you turn in a, and address the people behind you when you're at those meetings. I'm not saying that needs to change, but oh, you do feel very alone. <laughs> Right. Two minutes exactly. to to have, you know, we need to not be like, oh, you may approach the bench. It should be less of an audience. Right. We are working for, you know, that's one thing about being somebody who works for the government. I see my work as definitely I am a steward for my county. I help our citizens, you know, and I take care of make sure I don't spend too much of their money. And, you know, cause we're a steward of their, their money that they pay us to do this work. So we're always aware of this stuff and working mm -hmm. towards it. I know not everybody believes that and that's fine. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it when everybody says it in government either, but right. I do believe if I, as an elected official, I am working for all the people that are in, whether they voted for me or not, mm -hmm. that's how the job works. And mm -hmm. so Anybody who comes to me wanting help or something, I think they should have the ability to have that conversation. And it shouldn't be, don't listen. I think that's old dogma that needs to go away, like racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that stuff. Right. I think another thing that might happen that I can see happening too, because I, I, I like politics a lot. Not everybody likes it. Politics is like my sports. I ditched ESPN for, well, I don't want to say the names of the networks I watch because I don't even really Ooh. like them, but I watch them. So I'm going to call you to get the lowdown so I don't have to watch Right. <laughs> well, okay. As a generalization, what happens sometimes is a president will get elected and then two years later, the other party will do really well in the midterm. So like Obama mm -hmm. got elected in 2008. In 2010, you had the Tea Party movement being mm -hmm. like government tyranny. Don't tread on me. The taxes are too burdensome and things like that. And I think one thing that I'm seeing happening now is people are starting to say, you know, they're trying to say Biden, he's a socialist. He wants to do all this major government spending. And that's like the federal thing. But also like on the local level, too, people really do scrutinize, you know, um, like the tax burden and then therefore like the government's wasting our dollars. And and as somebody who is going to be advocating for, you know, that um, the resources that 4J does have to be used appropriately, like I think you will see people being very critical, being very oh, scrutinizing yeah. really intensely, like those budgets and those things. And and so I guess how do you um, justify and, and convince people that the things you're fighting for are worth you know, putting that money towards? Well, I think it, it, there's several things, doing your homework, understanding. Um, I'm definitely, I'm not just saying I'm pro-union to get their endorsement. I'm pro-union. Because mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. the union is about that one voice that doesn't feel heard. And whatever I've talked about, marginalization, you can just be 
in our history of this country, that one voice could be totally mistreated and, and not taken care of and not as happening right now paid enough. And I appreciate unions as that solar against that. You know, we have to have something. I know not everybody loves unions. They brought us the weekend. <laughs> like Exactly. <I> <laughs> so many things. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. just one of the good ones. Like we wouldn't even have that. Right. right um, right. but it's, you know, the end of child labor, all kinds of beautiful things. Um, the reality is, is that we need to pay our people well. And then, you know, people talk about, well, you can't, you got to save the money here and pull it here and do this. And I don't like to play those games. I won't, I'm not really good at, well, we got to make so-and-so happy if we want to build this over here. Um, I'll probably have to figure out some of that because, you know, if I get outvoted, I get outvoted. (laughs) But, and the reality is I will be voting for um, fair wages. I I know there's a name for it. And I apologize to all my union peeps who have tried to teach me this because I'm still (laughs) learning, but it's where we look at contracts for unions because they pay fair wage and have um, medical benefits. And, you know, and the same goes for our people. Collective and bargaining is that? It? I don't know. I, I will send it I don't know. to you. It, it's it's got some initials attached to it, and I work in so many things that have initials attached to it. <laughs> I think my brain just it falls out the other side. <laughs> but it's important, and I guess that's just one a few parts of why it's important. But it's it's basically you have to work with others. You've got to do your homework. You can't phone right. it in. You can't cater to special interests. I I am not good at that part of life where I think it's unfair. I've still got that little five-year-old in me sometimes stamping my foot going, but it's not fair. It's not okay. And I remember my mom saying, uh, sometimes life's not fair. And I hated it when she said that. Um, that's but, kids have a, an instinct for fairness and they, and that's one of those things that schools can, can trample out of people. But ultimately like kids, like kids can, kids can be a little mean sometimes, but uh, like, you know, usually in a group setting, like sometimes you pile on because they're still learning, but the most, for the most part, the heart of a child is, is pretty pure. And yeah. so finding ways to like, be like, yeah. It isn't fair. So just because everybody's kind of going with it doesn't mean that that we should just be okay with it. Um, yeah. Well, just what you just said made me think of being in IEP meetings for my son and realizing that everybody in this room has a master's degree, but is blaming my son for not being a good learner. I mean, it's just like the most, isn't he the easiest person to blame? But also... right. He's got a mama bear. (laughs) So, and, and I should say, when I say that, I feel like a lot of our educators have been put in a place where they have, this is a party line thing. Like admin is saying, this is how we do it. And this is what you have to do. And you got to try to get them to do this. And I know we have great staff and we need to let them be great staff. We need to, pull back a little bit and I I uh, being in part of the 
I'm really excited to be part of the decision making for the, our our next superintendent. Um, yeah. Because I will that'll be where a lot of my passion goes. It's like it, I need somebody who understands how important it is to teach emotional intelligence. You know, starting in grade school, I need Beautiful. somebody who is who sees all of our kids and is not just working to step up to, you know, another higher position somewhere, which we've had recently. Um, mm-hmm. We need, we need people to, what you just talked about, that, that, that heart to, to come here and make a difference and be part of our, our, our um, community and not just leverage. <laughs> right. It sounds to me, Laurel, like, because, you know, 4J was one of the premier districts, one of the most amazing places for education in the whole country for a, for a while. And, and it sounds like you understand what pieces are still here that can that can fit into that happening again. Um, yeah. the, the staff being being oh. so, we attract so many wonderful teachers and and boy I could I could not name for you on if I I could be an alien with five hands and I wouldn't be be able to count the amazing teachers that I had on my hands I tell you, you know Mrs. Bowers in Condon School was my favorite teacher in the whole world <laughs> and I can tell you why because she's probably one of the few teachers that saw me mm-hmm. you know that didn't just treat me as a problem or an issue or anything else was really just really saw me. She saw all of us. She was, Mm -hmm. she, I, I I don't remember a lot of my teachers, but I definitely remember Mrs. Bowers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, if, um, it is exciting that you are, and, and so many other people that I really trust, particularly Martina Shabram, particularly Gordon Lafer, Maya, hopefully Tom, um, we'll be able to make that decision about the, the superintendent because leadership is so important in this time. And yeah. it that's going to be one of the most influential ways to bring us back to where we really could be and should be. Um, and um, that's very exciting. I also wonder what other um, – well, actually, can I, can we talk a little bit about mental health? Because I think that that's an area where we recognize a real um, under-met need for services here in in um, Lane County and in Oregon. Um, and that's something also I know that Anne-Marie Levis uh, felt that she really aligned with you on in terms of having that be a priority. So what um, what do you see as ways to advocate for that and what can the what can the district do? to to make sure that we come back from this this lack of support well i mean as far as i mean part of wrapped up in all of this is coming back from covid right and what that means and um i think one of the primary things is not having that idea which you'll hear a lot the refrain our kids are behind our kids are behind that's not a truth unless you speak that truth and especially if you speak it to the children um they can be who they are where they are we have great educators teach them move forward they're going to have a way to assess and i'm not talking about standardized testing so don't get excited everybody (laughs) (laughs) standardized testing only benefits 
the people that make standardized tests and make all that money off of them. It measures how much money your family has a lot more than it measures college readiness or whatever. Oh, yeah. What's your zip code? I can tell by your test score. Um, right. So, yeah, I would say it's really important that we are careful in our um, framing of reentry. It can't be just like, oh, you're here. You're behind. We got to get going. Come on. No, 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 no. You can't do this. That will cause so much mental damage to these right. kids. That is we d- completely unnecessary. Meet them where they are. Educate them. Be excited for them to be back in school. And um, not, it's going to happen, so I'm terrified. But I think if we work hard, really hard, we can help mitigate that, like really mitigate that. And because I, one thing I know is most of the teachers are on board with that. The people that yeah. are, are more political animals that work in admin, and some of them are not teachers. Yeah. <laughs> um, are the ones like, oh, no, we got to do this. This is, We're way behind and we got to get, and I'm, you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. These are humans. These yes. aren't, this isn't a, you know, a a stock or a business or something like this, you know, cause that's how they try to run it right now. Um, these are human right. beings. So, and that is such a socially constructed form of whether it's insecurity or trauma, if you want to go as far as to use that word, which it absolutely is. It's a collective mm-hmm. trauma that's enforced on people of I'm behind, I'm not good enough. And when we were homo sapiens out foraging, uh, I don't think we were worried about not like, being like the most advanced in our knowledge of like which grasslands have the most nutrients. I think that there was like a sense that like, like hey, you we're better here. know we're... how to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you running the four minute mile yet? <laughs> That's funny. They were two yeah. tigers were fast, I hear. Um <laughs> you know, I the other part and you're right, I was very much aligned with what Emory Levis was talking about with our our kids' mental health. I think we have a lot of work to do in the school system. I would, I want to break up some of the siloing. Um, so the school system works alone, but I worked my job. I just had, um, I worked for health and human services, which is part of that is behavioral health. I worked with a lot of people that had um, what is called a severe and persistent mental health disorder. Um, and the reality is, that we have systems here and people who do work and we could, I mean, we have Roger Brubaker who works, works, does amazing work with suicide prevention and we can make sure that communication and that access is happening and that we're having these conversations and we're creating a place to be collaborative, not just like, no, we got this, you know, Mm. there's no problem here. Don't talk about it. And it's not here. It's here because my son lost his um, best friend when he was 16, 17. And this boy had grown up coming to my house and he, um, he died by suicide. And it was all those kids dealt with it in summer. And there was not anything from the school district. These are all kids that went to school together. This is like a, you know, there was nothing. I got more because I work from human services. So I had people from human services out of the goodness of their heart reach out to me because they had heard about it from my supervisor. But it was, it's a definite, you know, and that's 
may sound like one thing, but it's we know it's not. It's happening. Right. We have kids that are hurting. They need to have a place to go. It is the hardest thing I can I find is for kids to know how to access services, either on their own, which is legal. Um, once you're a teenager, it's legal. Once you're, I think, 14 or over, maybe it's 15. And, um, you know, how to access it. It can be paid for. Um, all these things. Creating that framework of making it simple and just accessible means you get somebody you can talk to and you're not just figuring this all out by yourself. Because sometimes it is, it's a lot and there's a lot going on, but having someone to talk to when you're spinning, so important. And it can't just be the kids that have means that get that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's right. sometimes it's not even them. They don't want to tell their parents. So they should have that access anyway. Right. So I, I mean, those are two kind of very specific examples, but there's a whole lot of work there. I see, I do know there's a whole lot more, in the world where we're noticing a lot more mental health um, issues. I'm mm -hmm. not saying it right. Cause I'm not a mental health professional, but it is very much like we see it and we see that's a lot people who are just having a hard time um, dealing with society. That's one of my things with skills before bills, which is the um, CTE work I want when I want to do, I want kids to be able to do that starting in their junior year. I want them to be able to have a skill. So they have some kind of, I don't want to go to college. I'm being ignored because I don't want to go to college. <laughs> There's not much for me. Um, and having a pathway to find that value, to see their worth to, which is, I know our worth isn't just in what we do, but it helps a lot if we can feed ourselves and we can t help take care of ourselves. Right. Which yeah. I know from my work at human services, we are, we have a lot of people who graduate without that. And that's another silo I'd like to break down and really cross collaborate and make sure we're helping and taking care of people in the, and my big picture thing, cause I like to think big is perhaps mm. we in several years, lower amount of people experiencing homelessness mm -hmm. because we've given them more ability. Mm -hmm. so, Honestly, I think like you talked about mental health, you talked about career and technical ed, and you talk about people experiencing homelessness and like people could look at those things as disparate, but there's totally probably tons of intersections and linkages between those kinds of things. Yeah. And like from the mental health to the CTE, um, you know, like, uh, I love my mom who is a really, um, intense Japanese mom who didn't go to college and moved here as an immigrant and wanted me to have the best opportunities possible for, as far as college. But boy, were there also times when I wish that a recognition could have been made that like, hey, um, I can choose one of these grad programs I got into that wasn't an Ivy League school. And like, maybe that might be a healthier place for me to be. Um, and or just as far as the CTE angle, like, why is it that we still have this, like, you know, Harvard was the first school in the country because, like, they had, like, they had, they had to educate the pastors that were coming here. And that doesn't mean that, like, like that's the best place to, like, learn 
this, like all of the disciplines that people learn between 18 to 22, like that's so weirdly outdated and yet still like looked at as like the main goal. And like, I actually think at North we had less of an emphasis on like go to like the most elite school possible than like maybe like a South or like some other schools uh, have. Um, I'm not knocking it. I, just, I think they would probably say the some of the same thing. So I think there was value in that, but also just like value in recognizing like um, there's so many ways to like come into your own and there's so many ways to find out who you are, which like goes into the mental health and hopefully being able to like prosper enough to, um, you know, I, I, I was, um, unhoused for, um, late 29 to early 2020 as well. And like mental health things that came out that hadn't, um, been recognized from when I was a 4J student that maybe could have been recognized. I think like destigmatizing, uh, like getting a diagnosis and like getting some help for um, mental health issues, whether you're uh, somebody who is like seen as like the person excelling and and carries a lot of pressure yeah. or whether you're just anybody because like, being a freaking amazing? human is hard. Right. <laughs> I know. I absolutely want it to be treated like cancer. No, nobody wants cancer, but you can just get all the services you need for it. Mm -hmm. It is so hard to get people <laughs> the services they need for mental health services. And everybody's like, just do this. And you're like, if only it was that easy. And our society and how it's set up, it's not that easy. And Oregon is, in our, for our health system, we're more advanced in many states. So we're at least yeah. lucky in that regard, but we have not spent the money on um, substance use. Oh, we could talk about everything, couldn't we, Thomas? Um, yeah. <laughs> and addiction yeah. and, uh, you know, that's self-medicating. I which love that people get kids in Oregon. Yeah, they do. And kids in Oregon. Uh, wow, that's a great point. Um, also led the way on like mental health. Uh, what is it? Day. Uh, uh, like sick day or something like that. Like they're, uh, I don't remember what moved forward, but they were basically like acknowledging that like, yeah, sometimes you might be not well enough to go to school and it's not because you have a fever. Like, right? you know, it's because uh, if I go to school and face this, per this person and this bully and go to this and this, that's going to escalate things. And I know that I'm going to be better served by taking like one day or something. Um, yeah. Love yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I faked That's stomach true. aches in senior year of high school. I told my mom I had severe stomach aches. We went to the doctor. I lied about the about and they like were like, I don't know why you'd be experiencing this. And that sucks. That sucks. It was just um I'm not I'm trying to make this all about my experience because that's not my no, goal. No, but it, I mean it but, does speak your what you're talking to is like if you had somewhere you could talk to about whatever you were really stressed about, like um I I don't know if I'm wrong about this, but I remember I went to Spencer Butte Junior High. Now that's how old I am, and um, <laughs> I we had actual counselors. So when we had counselors, it wasn't just somebody to like, well, what class are you going to take? And da 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 da. It was like, so I hear you've been having some hard times, and let's have a chat about it. And I, as far as I can remember, they were pretty dang good at mm. having that conversation with you know, willful teenagers. Right. Me? Yes, absolutely. I would. Right. <laughs> um, so I think you're absolutely right. Having 
And I do think sometimes the simplest solution is the solution. It doesn't have to be outrageously expensive. It is having, um, I know Emery talked about peer mentors. I mean, in moderation, yes, not everybody's going to want to talk to their peers. Sometimes that's all people will talk to, yeah. you know, but also be careful what you are putting on another kid because it could be a lot. So sure. having training and helping, you know, when it's too much and reporting, you know, how that works and safety, mm-hmm. um, all such good stuff and could work. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be implemented. Mm-hmm. It needs to have a program. It needs to be implemented. We have to have people behind it. So I, I appreciate your story because it does speak to the fact, you know, your kids, you're confused. You don't, you just feel bad because you're lying about something and you feel kind of dirty about it. You know, and as an adult, my head goes to what was going on for you to have to go to that extreme, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's my trauma informed training. There's all, there's, you're thinking about what got somebody to someplace, not just what their behaviors are in front of you. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and one thing that you know that I care about is is uh, is related to mental health on a day to day, which is music. I find that that um, you know, of course, it's helpful to have talked to a professional, but it's also really helpful when like I know like if I just like put on this Radiohead album or like I really put on this R- Run the Jewels album, like that's gonna like take me from like this stasis or like boredom, doing nothing, laying in bed to like amped up, excited or like introspective enough to figure out what I need to do right now with my time. Um, and I know that you know that I want to ask you about um, how music, um, in I don't know, is meaningful to you and like what artists you like, because I like to ask public figures, because I, I, I'm i unapologetic about the fact that it's like, I think this matters as much as anything else we talked about matters. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Um I was just telling somebody about this the other day, and I think I was probably brought it up because you, because of your question that you sent me. Um, But I love music so much that I just like to be inside of it. So I listen to it loud. I have, I am the mom whose kids say, could you please turn down your music? (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Like, all right, grandma. No. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, so I, I have eclectic taste, but also interestingly enough, it's funny because I love um, Dave Matthews. Um, when my, my ex-husband now um, was downrange, he was in um, um, Iraq. I think Dave Matthews, I mean, I don't think it's outrageous to say he probably saved my life. I was so depressed mom of five young kids my husband went on three tours of Iraq um I I just those those jam bands you know um what if you could sit on top of the world with your legs hanging free you know those kind of Mm. I just needed that and it took me there What's funny is I've been to several concerts and I'm like there's more black people on this stage than (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I get it. 
I also well, you take the whitest all. first name and the whitest last name, and you're like, Dave Matthews <laughs> yeah. banned. Um, <laughs> white man, white man banned. But, right. you know, it's it's just, it's, he's a good jam. I love right. Radiohead. I love all kinds of music. I do karaoke. I love mm-hmm. karaoke. Um, at first, it was just to challenge myself because I felt terrified to sing in public. And Nice. And second was to be like, ah, music. I, I tell other people to sing. They're like, I'm not a good singer. I'm like, oh, no, karaoke is not about being a good singer. It is about you loving to sing. So if build it out, enjoy yourself <laughs> because you will feel all those endorphins. And it, it is fun. And so I encourage people to try it because it is. It is singing is such a fun thing I, that that shame that goes with it that comes from outside right right you have fun singing sing please sing well so, karaoke is like it's it's explicitly like a safe space for not being the most talented open mics no, no, are no. a little similar <laughs> yeah, okay fair enough that's a good point if but it's, i'm it's, there it, it will tends be, to be... <laughs> i love it i love it I talked to Tom about um, talent shows because, uh, you know, he he's played at some of this, his middle school talent shows at Monroe. And, like, talent shows are awesome because, like, for the most part, you a kid goes up there and plays a little piano and is sloppy because there's in front of 200 people for the first time in their life doing anything. Yeah. Like, your nerves react. Everybody yeah. goes at the end, whoa! It's like, hey. yeah. And, and, and that's where I love to see is, like, Where's the why does competitiveness have to be a part of art? Most artists are like, I don't know if they'd say tortured people, but most artists are like people who like are the biggest critics of their own work anyway. Oh, yeah. So, like, like let's support people when they're just trying to do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's, yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of art. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. And I would, I also like to say, I, I mean, I brought up Dave Matthews because you asked the question and, and mm-hmm. he was so, I loved him so much. Um, I do love um, Nina Simone, Sugar in My Bowl. I remember the minute I heard that song for the first time, I think I was like 20 and I was just mm-hmm. stopped me in my tracks. It's just, and it's my go-to if things aren't, if you nice. hear me playing that song, I may be, as my kids and I call it, melancholy. <laughs> melancholy. <laughs> <laughs> Melancholic, <laughs> melancholy. I like. I love it. Well, I mean, Nina, talk about someone who's just her voice has so much weight, and there's mm-hmm. so much emotion in every syllable. Like that yeah. is, that is amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sarah Vaughn. One of my karaoke songs I love to sing is "Whatever Lola Wants," and I, t- <laughs> I tell my partner Lola is my alter ego. <laughs> Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. he's like nice try (laughs) that's funny Um, but yeah so I like the I like the classics I love the kinks oh I love the kinks I forgot about the kinks give the people what they want They and weren't then, really given their due in their day. The Kinks, kind of like the Monkees, I think, were looked at as like you guys are like a teeny bopper band. Oh, and, uh, really? you know, I didn't know I that. I think so. I think so. I um, love but them. now, yeah, nice. I yeah, because really, Destroyer. A... I love that song. Nice. Paranoia. Cool. Maybe it's called Paranoia. Cool. Just cool. Paranoia. The Destroyer. <laughs> I'm working on my hip hop album. My my, it's been seven years since I put out a hip hop album. We just shot the album cover. It's called Chicken. 
All of the track titles are named after chicken dishes. Uh, like, like I have I'm like chicken. holding a live chicken. Really? Yeah. I should have shot it with your chicken. Dang. You but I went to my friend Rihanna Williams. Shout out to her and her mom, Gwen Gwillem. They were so kind to let me shoot a photo op for a for a hip hop album in their chicken coop. You know, that's a once that's in a awesome. lifetime thing. Hip-hop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I need to. You have to send this to me, or I buy it. But however it works. Um, right, right, right. No, I'll send. I'll send. Yeah, I'll send you some streaming links for sure. Um, awesome. Yeah, I want to ask you maybe one, maybe two or more questions. Okay. Um, and I think that like when I think about what the schools are as a place, like I, you know, I love people. I love people so deeply. I have friends who. Um, I were right leaning or conservative leaning in school. Some of them have gone um, far into what I think is an ideology that I find distasteful, but I still really try to have love for them and understand where they're coming from. As long as they're like, um, uh, you know, sincere actors and really believe that their ideology is right. And I don't support anybody of any political persuasion who just has bigotry or hatred for, for people. Right. And um, so I think that happens in schools in 4J as I've just known like really bright people, really um, valuable conversations that that um, because they like their families are conservative, let's say, or, or voted for a certain like candidate back in the day or whatever, that they felt like they couldn't speak up in the classroom. And I think that that is um, a real challenge. I don't want to dismiss just because it's not my own challenge. Mm. And so... Um, I guess, um, like, because, um, you know, Eugene is a, is an eclectic place with people with a lot of varying opinions and it's not just, um, a spectrum of like, you're, you consider yourself liberal to where you consider yourself super progressive and leftist or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Like, are there, um, are there any like areas where you embrace or appreciate a more conservative approach, um, or, um, just what are your thoughts on what I, everything I just said? (laughs) Um, I appreciate the question. I definitely, uh, um, have hung out with my share of Republicans and Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my time. Mm -hmm. Um, also though, I think (laughs) there's parts about me where I absolutely feel like I would probably be an Eisenhower Republican, but Mm -hmm. also, in our day and age right now, he wouldn't be a Republican. No. So, you know, he um, came up with the term military industrial congressional complex. They took out the congressional later because it was showing their cards too much. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he was like, we should be worried about this. And then the whole Congress was like, no, we shouldn't. No, anyway. no, 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 no. That's my, yeah. that's how I feather my bed. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I definitely, um, I would say at times I'm a physical conservative in some ways in that, if you look at that time period, it's so weird because being 50 and having gone to college and done the studying of the different time periods, you look at it and you go, I don't identify with what I find it. A lot of it just like, I'll take care of me. You can't take care of you. I guess you may die in a hole. Oh, well. (laughs) And I'm like, that doesn't need to be how we survive. You know, we, there's a book. um, I have it in here. 
Um, it's called the spirit level. And that, you know, I told you I like um, data, well, logic, and along with that is data. And they, t- it's an older book. I think it's probably over 10 years old. Spirit level is a level in England. And these were two, um, I don't know if both of them are statisticians, but they t- they looked at all the numbers. They did the graphs and they proved that society is stronger and more whole if we're all more on equal levels as far as money and what we have. And, you know, when we have so many people that need so much and billionaires, <laughs> yeah, then we're not healthy. And you can see it. We have over 200 and some people living in our parks, yeah. you know, in one park. That's Washington Jefferson. Right. I was going to uh, say, so, yeah. And I may have my numbers off there, but I, the reality is, is we're not healthy right now because we're so off. I don't think anybody needs to be a billionaire. I don't think you won when you were a billionaire. There's no way to um, spend all that money. (laughs) You didn't win all the toys. I mean, you may have, you think you have, but you actually, it's just, it's to me, that's not right. I don't mind people getting ahead and doing amazing things and making things happen. It's when it gets to that level. It's, yeah. How can you say you earned it? Had it so someone who worked, you know, forty hours a week and made thirty thousand dollars? Did you and, and you made, um, I don't know, eight hundred million dollars in that same year? <laughs> or two Is minutes. it because your effort was that many times more than her effort, or his effort, or their effort? Um, I hear you. I hear you. Um, no, and it's and wild. It, so, I like the parts of uh, I like difference in people. I don't want mm-hmm. us to be all the same. Uh, where we are in society where it's like, you're this, eh, you're this. So I will call people racist on Facebook. That's kind of my valve. Like, <laughs> I think you're doing them a favor. I don't, I've gotten into oh, they, this with people. I'm sure who they do too. <laughs> well, it's the last thing they want to be called if they're engaging in racism, but you're doing them a favor by being honest with them. They might not like the way that they experience it, but like, yeah, fix the problem and then there won't be the problem, homie. Like, how dare she? And yeah. it's really, I just, it's, and then it's not my most grown up thing I do, but it is definitely a valve where I can just, you know, I see it, I deal with it, it comes at me. I've had to make reports about racism against our police here. I've had to, I deal with it. And so, but also I don't deal with it by always, you know, putting my finger in somebody's eye and being like, you know, you just did to me (laughs) because I have to, in the day to day, I, I want to have that, that connection, which I can make with a lot of different kind of people, which I love because I love the differences. So it's not like, Oh, I'm going to like the differences. It's like, we're different. I like it you know, and, um, and we may not agree on everything, but that's, that's normal. (laughs) That's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. It, it, when your opinion threatens my existence, that's when it's, it's not okay. It's a little more than just a difference of opinion. That's some serious seriousness that needs to be intervened with. 
And we have a lot of people fighting for it right now, but the reality is, is those in with a lot of money and a lot of power, it behooves them to have us fighting amongst each other because then we don't look at who actually is holding all the strings. Right. I am. That's where I wanted to say something like that. Cause I totally think that that's one of the biggest, most urgent issues is just, I hate my neighbor, but we're both getting screwed by <laughs> the yeah. system, you know, the, like the, the train. It's so, it, it's so it's part of how we're put together. It's in our structures of everything that's made. So your neighbor will, it, just because you told them that's not, okay, it's not going to be like, well, I guess I changed my mind. Cause it's part of everything that they've learned since forever. Right. And right. so it takes a lot more than that. There are definitely people that get to there who people make fun of them, call them woke because they've, they, they've decided to pay attention and give a damn. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I read this great quote. I hope I remember it. Well, as LeVar Burton, I don't know if you saw it, but he said, they're calling it, control no what is it calling when when you want to when you stop people cancel culture mm -hmm. and it's actually there i think he called it conscience culture mm -hmm. meaning that mm -hmm. if you are shut down because of your behavior that's people saying your behavior is the reason you're shut down it's not you're not canceled. That takes the onus off of you and puts it on the people shutting you down. It's your mm. behavior and conscience that has not behaved right. I hope I said that right. I'll try to look for it and send it to you because it was, I read right. that this morning and I was like, yeah. I'd love is. to see how so, he words it. First yeah. of all, because I think he's a brilliant human being. I love him. And second so. of all, because like, it's such a really interesting conversation to have, this cancel culture conversation, because... Um, first of all, I think everybody on all sides of the political spectrum try to engage in what this thing that we call cancel culture. Um, it's not like right now it's like, you know, the former president was all trumpeting it because like needed something to talk about and rile well, people up would... about. And then he's the one saying, Hey, F Goodyear, they won't let people wear my hats and you know, F this person and, and like shut down this news. Like, you yeah. know, and it's like, um, it's really an interesting situation where um, I just hope maybe through things like this, people can have um, fuller conversations about, about where we, where we can move forward. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, it's that. And also LeVar Burton, I really hope ends up being a long-term host of Jeopardy. He wants to do it. He wants I want it. him to do it. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to give him like a week or something like that. A yeah. trial. I don't really. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'm glad they off. did. I'm glad they did. Cause he'd be amazing. And he, I, uh, I don't think it would have happened without the public going, wait a minute, get on this. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we, I believe in humanity. Um, I think we can get there. I think I see so much goodness and beauty every day. I mean, in the work I have been doing um, in town and upriver with our wildfire survivors, amazing people who are like, yep, got to start over. And I guess I just put one foot in front of the other. And, or, you know, I uh, coming to me and going, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to make that appointment. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you got here. 
good job. Do not tell yourself there's anything wrong with you because you're dealing with a lot. Please. That's just adds more. But that's how kind of how we're set up, you know, like you have to show up to something else. You're in trouble. And so we am mm-hmm. dealing with all the wonderful people that are just trying to survive. And you would probably guess that a lot of people up river are probably um, have a lot of conservative values. Absolutely. Are very, you know, divergent yeah. from probably my ba- basic values. Um, I think our, well, I shouldn't say basic values because I think all our basic values are the same. We're all human beings. We all are just trying the best we can. Absolutely. I believe that it's even the person you see and going, oh, they're not just trying. You shouldn't, you shouldn't reward that. They're probably trying the best they can. So give them some help and people will move forward. And I believe the same, um, I just, I, (laughs) like, I believe in hope and means that um, I I always tell the story that when I'm talking to people, I'm hearing sad stories every day and people are like, how can you do that? That is just depressing every single day. And I'm like, because I'm, while I'm sitting in with that story, I'm, I'm looking past it. I'm saying, so this is this is where you are, but this is where we're going. And this is where is, am I hearing you right? Because it's their life. I'm not going to tell them what to do. And then I am. So I had to think this through because it wasn't, am I a weirdo? Because I'm not all depressed because I'm talking to people about sad stuff every day. I think it's that I'm like, no, I've been in bad places. I haven't lost my house. Thank goodness. Um, But I've been in places where it just, I feel hopeless and I'm not sure how to get out of it and having somebody with that voice and helping me through it to the other side is what you need. You don't need somebody to dwell with you in this. <laughs> you need yeah, somebody yeah. to be like, this is what I see. Da, 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 da. And people are like, yes, that's what I need. <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. Let's do it. And if you, if you, any barriers, tell me and I'll help you break it down. And I always, one of my things I tell people is, I, um, my superpower is I have a big mouth and I use it for good, not evil. (laughs) So I will stand in front and speak when somebody cannot. And I think that's kind of what I want to use on the school board because I don't, I can see some of the things that have been happening that, um, our marginalized communities don't have somebody to speak for it. Does that make them bad people? No, they are not aware because they haven't been. some of them kind of so i i do get like huh (laughs) but (laughs) hey and maybe they you know everybody has a lot of people in their ear and some of them are going to have a lot of very privileged people in their ear a lot of wealthy donors in their ear and that's going to affect their ability to fight for every for the marginalized uh, community members that need that advocate Laurel, yeah. I really appreciate the time that you've taken. I don't want to dip more into your time with your family this evening, um, but I want to say, first of all, you don't need my advice that I'm about to give you. I don't think you need it at all. But before you said something about how, you know, maybe I get voted out in four years, you are, you're going to do your best. Like you said, everybody's doing their best. I think there's very, very little chance that um, that in Eugene, somebody would be able to win a citywide race against you from what I've heard, um, uh, from, from what I see of what you're able to do. Um, and so I don't think you're going to 
again, need me to say this, but don't care about how, you know, that potential or for anybody to like say, she said this, she did this, just go kick ass and do the things that you want to do that are important. I'm very excited that you'll be on the board and I'm, I, really, I'm just thrilled that you're you, here with me now. Thank you so much, Thomas. I will do that because I, well, partly because I have to, but secondly, because I think that's what I'm being asked to do. That's what people are hopeful for. for. Um, and I hope I bring everybody with me and kind of an understanding of how we could be more amazing. And um, <laughs> I mean, Sweet. I mean, we're already the one of the best towns in the world. So what else? <laughs> nice. Facts. <laughs> Facts. And then, but then you also want to be like, oh, that's such a Eugene thing to do is like, we're already the best. But I mean, come on, we got the <laughs> But you gotta engage got in it a little bit. Desert. We got right, everything right. here. Exactly. I, I did live in Colorado and I thought this will probably get me some enemies. And I I remember them being like, Oh, Colorado, it's the most beautiful place. I'm like, where's your ocean? Also, <laughs> these, are, these aren't trees, those little shaking things. No, I mean they're cute. They're but where I live, the trees meet over the road. Right. It's a tunnel of beauty, and I love yeah, it. that's where I'm from. So there's a spot right on the bike path. Um, right if you go past North Bank McMenamins, it's like between McMenamins North Bank and like Valley River Inn. And if I, that's just when I was a kid, especially in a moonlight big night where there's a lot of moonlight. Oh. I literally, it's the most blissful spot. Just go. And all the trees are arching over the path and you oh, see the water next to you. And it's just, I've been I there, but spot. now I want to go there with your eyes. <laughs> I'm going to go back. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> thank you, Thomas. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Laurel. 